0: Next time I got the intro. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Kodiak Shack podcast. Today, we have Paco Benitez. He's back. He's back on the podcast. This is our first time we've had someone come back on the podcast, aside from rain. So I dig it. Uh, we've got Bender here, and uh, I, your host, Vader, uh, am always here, uh, whether you like it or not. So uh, Paco, thanks for uh, thanks for coming back and uh, and chatting with us. You've, you've had a lot of stuff kind of change over the last uh, couple months since we've talked. So you want to give people updates on the merge and other things you're doing?
1: Uh, Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, going back to the beginning, I, I can't even remember. It was probably one of the first—I uh, I don't know—five episodes that you uh, you had. Mm. I don't know what guest number I'm on. I, I probably should keep track of that. Yeah. But that's a—it's a pretty good award. I'm a—I'm the first repeat offender.
0: That's right. We're happy to have you too. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah. So thanks for having me. Uh, so. Let's see what's been going on with me. Well, uh, I'm retired, so we're nice. recording this on Veterans Day, and I am actually like a card-carrying uh, <laughs> veteran of the U.S. military now. So that's that's uh, that's pretty exciting news for me. That um, is good. Yeah, I've been busy with uh, you know a grown-up job, so I have a real job now. So I have to figure out what I. Well, the joke is when you retire, you have to uh, figure out what you're going to wear to work every day, but. Uh, since my job is, uh, well, I travel a lot, but what I'm not. I, I work at home, in my office, and that makes my uh, my clothing choices pretty easy most days. So. Yeah, uh, especially well, to get dressed from the waist up uh, for these days for most meetings.
0: <laughs> yeah, just some uh, board shorts and then a collared shirt. Yeah, the, yeah, uh,
1: that, that that'll do it.
0: Well, and for anybody who hasn't been paying attention, obviously, uh, Paco uh, runs The Merge, which is an awesome newsletter, comes out every Sunday, and solid content. He, uh, stealing his words, but he pretty much uh, boils down and synthesizes all the information that's useful to have, and then uh, puts it out there for us, and uh, Bender and I, and and multiple people uh, on the Ops side are uh, are reading it as well, and it it keeps us smart on stuff. I I dug the Taiwan uh, 101 and the breakdown of that, because honestly i was i was saying underinformed is probably an understatement but uh the and then he's also working at shield ai uh which is uh, the the grown up job is that what that that is Yeah that name? that's my grown up job that's right yeah. and then but the the thing that i i kind of want to make sure we hit on is uh you spoke at some conferences right i think it was was it AFA
1: Yeah it was actually on a i was on a panel for um uh Collaborative Combat Aircraft and uh, Autonomy at uh, AFA in uh, September. Uh, And then I was actually just, I was a panel moderator at the uh, NDIA's uh, Air Armament Symposium about uh, next generation air dominance weapons. So that was was about an hour and a half panel I moderated. That was fun.
0: Yeah. So kind of breaking it down, I don't know what the numbers are. I've been to one AFA, so Air Force Association Conference. Uh, But I mean, there's what, thousands of people that go to that?
1: Yeah, I think I want to say the attendance number. This this one was the most highly attended one, and I I want to say it was something in the uh, 14,000 14, range. And I, I'll tell you, I, I wasn't expecting. Uh, going to the room for the the panel and kind of like, hey, just be here at this time. We'll we'll, uh, we'll give you your mics and uh, you know meet at the door, and we walk in. Uh, and this this room has uh, well over well over two thousand people in it like waiting for us to walk on stage to have this panel like oh I, w- I was not expecting that <laughs> I was expecting maybe like you know two hundred <laughs> not two thousand yeah. so that was a that was a little of a sticker shock
0: yeah I bet well it's funny i i think on a much smaller scale like orders of magnitude less uh the first time I was a mission commander at like uh like a red flag or a cope north or something. And I'm like, whatever. I brief all the time. Like, I brief my like eight best friends, you know. And then I like stand up there as a mission commander. I'm like, oh geez. So I can only imagine that was probably exponentially more. So.
1: Yeah, it's even it's even more fun. I don't know how many uh, international mission commander uh, gigs you've had to do. Those are those are special, extra special fun. Oh yeah, <laughs> I got well, some pretty funny stories about that.
0: Yeah, well, if you, I, it's funny because I, I have something similar. If you want to tell one, I'll, uh, we'll trade stories on this.
1: Uh, all right. I'll tell you, I, I'll tell you a debrief, uh, oh, okay. a debrief of my mission commander upgrade. So there I was way back when, and, uh, we were in the UAE and I th- want to say there was I don't know, seven, I don't want to say seven, uh, different nations, uh, mostly middle Eastern. Uh, but we had some, uh, we had some French people there as well. And, uh, lo and behold, the 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 mission for this uh, international uh, LFE from my mission commander upgrade is going to be this like compound complex Cesar, uh, with with you know with helicopters we have an escort package there's actually people out in the desert we have to go pick up uh, pretty legit red air, and so we brief up the plan it's like you know the easiest plan is the best plan so we keep it stupid simple we go out there and. Uh, nothing happens. We didn't pick up the guy, someone else to come pick him up afterwards to come back. And I'm like, man, what a failure. I, I am going to fail this ride so bad. So, uh, so we get back in and there, and the, uh, we had kind of like the pre-mass, the white force, uh, was a, was a French, uh, commander and he'd been there forever. And, uh, I asked him like, Hey, where's the, uh, where's the S the, uh, the rescort guys like, Oh, I, they, they left. Uh, what do you mean they left? Like they didn't come to the debrief. Like they're not coming to the debrief? Like you have to debrief without them. I'm like, well, they need to be here because like they're supposed to pick up the guy. Like we had, we basically had a find and fix location for to go get you know Jack. Like in the first five minutes of this hour long vol, and I want to know what happened in the next fifty five minutes. <laughs> uh, so they're like, yeah, they're you know do it without. Them. I'm like, okay, so I'm just gonna wing it. And so we're I'm kind of on the stage, and again, this international stage, multiple you know probably several hundred people in the audience and I'm up there trying to tap dance through my upgrade without like a key piece of the information that I know that going to need for the debrief. And, uh, I just, um, so I'm kind of like talking through it. Here's a scenario, you know, kind of re-cage everyone. And then I said, Hey, is, uh, like, where is the survivor? Uh, is he here? And this guy raised his hand. Uh, I hear just like, you know, motion in the back and this, this guy raises his hand. I'm like, Hey, like I have some questions for you. So I start asking like, Hey, did you, did you hear any of these radio calls? Like we've been, they've been calling you for 50 something minutes. And, uh, the guy, he's just like sitting there looking at me and the guy next to him leans over and goes, he says, yes. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on a minute. Are you telling me that does he speak English? He's like, no, (laughs) um, could you ask him why he didn't respond to any of the radio calls in like the 55 minutes in this fall that, that the helicopters have been trying to call And the helicopters were, I think Emirati, uh, and it's a, this is a French guy, I think on the ground and they kind of whisper back and forth. He goes, he says, his name's not Jack. Like (laughs) kidding me. Like, so, so he heard every radio call, but because they're asking, they're looking for Jack, which is you know our, our code name for just the survivor on the ground, his name is not Jack, and so he's like, well, that's not me. I'm not going to respond. And yeah. so we wasted <laughs> uh-huh. uh, several million dollars of jet fuel and uh, hundreds of man hours of people's time uh, based on that one little flaw. So uh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's that uh, true story. That was my mission commander upgrade. <laughs> yeah, did you pass? <laughs> yeah I did uh very nice. frustrating but yes I'm like hey I can't control this I you know don't fight the scenario like I'm, just, <laughs> I'm not fighting the scenario and then the, the comp the other problem was uh the hell I'm like well the helicopters knew where you were like why didn't they just land they saw you and they, they're like oh yeah the uh they couldn't get close enough I'm like well why not like we we know we did know where it was I'm like yeah like well why did the helicopters just land and pick them up if well, we couldn't see them they couldn't get close enough I'm like well why like, well, there was a there was a Roz there. I'm like, yeah, the Roz is for the helicopter to be in. Like, oh, they thought they couldn't be in it. So they're in a 10-mile <laughs> wheel around the survivor thinking they can't get any closer. I'm like, well, how how the hell are you supposed to pick them up if you can't go in the Roz? I'm like, yeah, they hadn't thought that far ahead yet. And that's why they oh, skipped man. the debrief. reef uh, like, oh, my God. You can't make this stuff up. You can't make this stuff yeah. up. I love we can't it. tell people, yeah, like, yeah. that story can't be shared. The incompetence. Yeah. Yeah. Things <laughs> yeah, that's <of> right. multinational <laughs> military <laughs> operations. That's right. We're just gonna we're just gonna move on to the next thing. Let's go let's go get tea. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, and then you wonder like what what were they doing when we have all those like mass briefs and we brief the entire game plan and it's like what were they doing? Were they just not listening or were they you know? You, you wonder I mean, my mission commander upgrade consisted of my instructor like my uh, the patch you know, like you got to put pen to paper, you got to put pen to paper, like, you know, and then it goes horribly as the most of them do. And he's like, never put pen to paper. And I was like, God! like I was so furious, but we were, uh, yeah. so our the
1: simple, simple works, the simpler, the better. And the less, the less you speak, the more weight each word carries in and the stuff like that, you ever in those briefs and you, it's like a, like a flight lead upgrade or something. And it's like, you know, hack. And it's like, Oh my God, you're like the micro machine man from like those old commercials. Like, dude, <laughs> everyone stop like you're not allowed to talk for 10 seconds like start like just talk slower you're gonna like if i just talk faster and cram more words in it i'll you know i'll check all the blocks like no 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 like like talk less and transmit the stuff that matters and then we'll go fly
0: well like the the backside of a cord card when it's just littered with contracts and you're like, oh, yeah. there's like- Forty contracts on the back of this card. No one, not even C two, is going to keep track of every single one of these and who is responsible for what. You know, like you said, like four contracts is probably all you really need, and then you'll be good.
1: Yeah, those are the best ones when you go out and you have your, uh, you know, after the mass brief, you kind of have your, you know, your package briefs and your top offs. You go, all right, guys, like the three things that we have to do right today are this, this, and this. If we fail to do any of those three things, we will all die this mission will be a failure and we're going to look like clowns. If we can get those three, right. Everything else is just, you know, icing, icing on top.
0: Well, and I think that's where you really know who understands the problem set and who doesn't, who can say like, here are four or three or whatever pinch points versus like, I have to talk about everything. Cause I'm not sure what's actually more or less important to success or failure. We, uh, Bender, I don't know if I should say which country we're in, Bender. This was the TDY that you planned that was uh that was a total debacle. Uh not on your part, but on the fact that it was like the location could not handle us showing up and the state Department is like you will show up. Can we say the location?
1: Yeah, go for it. I had a great time, by the way. All right, so
0: we're in Malaysia. Yeah, it was a I mean, it was a solid T- TDY. The, what was it, uh, Georgetown, Shawarma? Yeah. Solid Shawarma. If you find yourself in uh, <laughs> G- Georgetown, Malaysia, but either way. So we're working with all the Malay pilots, and they're uh, obviously, like, varying levels of, like, English proficiency, and we're doing, like, a large force engagement. So it's F-15Cs from Kadena and F-16Cs from uh, Masawa, and, and then the Malaysian uh, military, like, combination of their – Hornet pilots, they've got like what uh Hawk or Hawker or whatever that yeah, point is. And um but yeah, yeah. And so we're in there and uh I think I'm running it. I don't know. The it's a it's a fuzzy memory at best. But I'm up there and we have like three separate like vulnerability windows for like a ninety minute bowl. But I'm not gonna be there the whole time. So I'm like, all right talking to one of the Malaysian pilots, uh, I'm like, all right, you have the hammer then, and then I'm going to show up, and I'm going to take the hammer, and then now, like, lastly, this person's going to have the hammer. And I, like, sit down, and one of our really smart younger dudes is like, do you think they know what you're talking about when you say they have the hammer? And I'm like, That's a good point. Like, <laughs> do you know what an idiom is? Yes. You know, <laughs> stop using them. But, uh, so, yeah, it's it was pretty comical. Luckily, everybody was on the same page, but it's one of those things where we just get used to Our jargon, and then you interact with people who may have a varying level of, you know, English competency, and you're like, well, I'm I'm using slang on a language that is, you know, a second or possibly third language. That's doesn't breed success normally.
1: (laughs) I mean, I'm reminded of the uh, back in my former life uh, before I was in the Air Force uh, and I was in the Marine Corps. There was a, you know, I was an NCO. One of the things we used to do with some of the younger guys is we do like the uh, peanut butter and jelly leadership uh, thing. You guys uh, ever heard of that? No, I haven't. All right. That's great. So, uh, so Bender, you're going to be my guinea pig. So, <laughs> Bender, I want you – so, basically, we send out a kind of a loaf of bread, a knife, a jar of peanut butter, and a jar of jelly. And I go, okay, I want you to lead me. Tell me how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Go. You actually want me to do that? Yeah, it? Like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so so like the fur it's so usually like okay well uh know, there's different ways to make it right and so generally it'll start something like oh well i like to start the peanut butter so let's put the peanut butter on the bread so you just pick up the jar of peanut butter just smash it on the loaf of bread like oh well that's not what i was talking about like well be clear and concise and correct. What do you want? (laughs) And so you finally get to the point of like, okay, if I give articulate exactly what I, what I want from you, like there should be very minimal questions and I have. We have a level of expectation between the two of us. So that is, that is a style of leadership. Uh, then you have the style, which is like, I don't care how it gets done. Just deliver me a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And you know, don't break any laws or kill any people, and and give me that peanut butter sandwich. So there's a there's a few different you know styles, but that's always a fun one to to walk people through of. Yeah, and it's kind of funny because you'll see the different ways and, and things that people you know mess it up. Like put the uh, now I've got peanut butter on one slice and jelly on the other. Okay, now put the two slices together. You put them together backwards. Or right? It's <laughs> like <laughs> you're like, well, this is terrible. What a terrible sandwich. Uh, so you so make we- a big mess. Everyone has a lot of fun
0: so many unforeseen variables that you never think of because you just assume a level of competency.
1: That's right. That's right. They should yeah. do that at work yeah. school. Eh? Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that's like, uh, you know, having someone else, you know, how good are my products? Like have someone who wasn't there for the mission planning, like brief this scenario. And it's like, we'll know how well it's all put together if that person can just like derive what our intent is from the products that we provide them.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. So, so speaking of, uh, you mentioned Kadena F-15s, you are now actively flying the F-15 C right? You've had oh, a couple I flights.
0: Raging around three sorties. My last one was not effective weather. So, uh, it's good.
1: So, so what's your, uh, what was your first impression going from the, uh, you know, the Viper, uh, backwards technologically in some ways to the, uh, the C model. Uh, but now you're flying a, you know, there's a tennis court behind you if you turn around.
0: It is, it's totally different. I mean, obviously it's still fighter, luckily tactical formation, like, you know, turning into rejoins, like it's all, it's just flying fighter, which is nice. Cause I almost forget I am flying the C model when I'm like on a rejoin, I'm just like looking at a C model. So I'm like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. But like the references
1: are the same, but that all it's the relationships are.
0: Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, you, you bleed energy a little faster, which actually makes like a rejoin easier. Because if you get hot on the rejoin, you're going real fast. You can just, like, when you pull the power back, you start slowing down. Where in the F-16, you're like, oh, this is going to be terrible. And you can't, like, stop the jet in the F-16 because you'll just climb or you'll you'll go belly up. So, yeah, I'd say overall the flying has been it has been good. I mean, I, I enjoy flying. It, it definitely feels more like a, like a, almost like a boat or they refer to like a Cadillac, where it kind of, like, just, like, smoothly floats along the sky where the F-16, I don't, I wouldn't refer to it as like smooth, you know, like it was, it was more like very deliberate where the C model seems like more, more like flying like a real airplane. I was just talking about its today Bender. Oh, go ahead.
1: No, I was going to say that that's, that's by design, right? Like the, uh, the F-16 was the first fighter designed to be aerodynamically unstable, and so your the computers keep it uh you know right side up and flying where the the F15 is cables and pulleys with some com- with some basic uh, flight control augmentation and so it's you know it could fly with you know it's a pretty stable airplane you can put a lot of crap on it uh, without being too uh, you don't have to be too ginger with it where I know like the your, uh, I know the, like the dash one in the, the viper you have I, I can I can keep track I saw it one day and I'm like what is that like oh it's our uh, it's our configuration uh all of our limitations when you put things on the wings and different you know stations and they're like oh my god like we just throw things on the jet and go fly
0: <laughs> yeah 1-2 that thing's a nightmare yeah. it's it's almost like it's some uh, some experiment just to mess with us cuz you're like it's not even straightforward it would be pretty Everything fun has yeah variants. i
1: think the it'd be pretty fun to do an experiment <laughs> yeah, with yeah, this... you take you know 20 different f16 pilots and i'll have them research one configuration and the limitations and see what they come up with Cause they will all, I bet you get 10 different answers from 20 different patches. Yeah. (laughs) So my last assignment, we were in a, we're in a multi, multi MDS squadron. So we had uh, f F-15s and F-16s in test. And, uh, you know, we do a lot of, all of, all of our flights are basically mixed formation. uh, And I got a couple of Viper rides too. And, you, the, the easiest thing is like, all right who's got the who's got the configuration like you all right that's it like one person's going to look at it one person's going to make a decision and we're going to go with that decision it's like no one else will look at it because you will come up with a different answer uh and i think you guys are the experts uh, you know having uh flown the viper but i, I want to say one of the configurations is one of like your uh, you know air-to-air configuration where if you're supersonic and then shoot the missile, now you're out of limits because the new configuration without the missile is, like, subsonic only, you know, and the jet, in theory, would, like, you know, go out of control or something or have some flutter issue. Jet, that's yeah. hilarious. Like, that's completely tactically irrelevant.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, the the plus side, so now knowing a little bit about both, uh, is that in the F-16, you can actually step between what and pick whatever missile you want. So that's, like, the... Hey, make sure you don't shoot that one. Like, step to another missile so you don't put yourself out of control at like the high thirties above the Mach. You know, you're like sure, that makes yeah. total sense. I'll do that. The uh, the the that's upside, right. In the
1: uh, in the fifteen, you can only step between missile types. Exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, the C model is probably the same as the E.
0: Well, yep. Yeah, that's exactly right. The thing that was convenient about the F 16 is there was no OWS. So the over G warning system, which I don't know if it, that's what it stands for, but that's what I'm going to say it stands for. Uh, but so the OWS, like, it's effectively just monitoring you at all times. And it gives you a current readout for your lateral stick deflection and altitude, airspeed, all that stuff. So if you're going 700 miles an hour, it's like you're limited to six and a half Gs or something like that. And it tells you in the HUD, like, don't pull around a six and a half or I'm going to say you overgeed. G um, we're in the F 16. It doesn't. So like asymmetrically over the F 16 is like part of the tactic. Like it's not even like, <laughs> Oh no, <laughs> you just do it. We're in the C model. It's like, this has to be a straight pull or you will over G that jet. And you're like, that's, that's a new thing for me.
1: I feel like asymmetric over Gs are some kind of engineering make believe thing that they made up just to mess <laughs> with operators.
0: Yeah. Like you better not do it. Like, yeah, I don't get it because, well, and this is one thing. There you go, Paco. I have the ultimate question for you because you've, you've been around, and this is an F-16 thing, and apparently it's not. it was not a Strike Eagle thing. So the F-16 is limited to 5.5 Gs if it has a bomb parent mounted or mounted on like a brew or a tur. if it's an inert or if it's alive. And I don't know why it's all or if it's 500 pound or 2000 pound. And I don't know why it's five and a half G's always. Does that make any sense?
1: Uh, so in the F15 E it's, uh, f- uh, if I get it wrong, 4.8 asymmetric and six symmetric. Oh, I think we lost Bender.
0: Yeah. He'll, he'll come back. Yeah. Uh, he'll come back.
1: <laughs> yeah. So those, those, uh, those engineering limitations that you see for, for, uh, for weapons, they're not engineering limitations. 99% of the time they mm. are, um, they are fiscal management limitations. So the, if you look at the cost complexity, when you do like weapon certification through uh Seek Eagle, the Air Force Seek Eagle office is the the people who do all that. Uh, when you look at, uh, carriage jettison, store separation, emergency jettison employment, and the, you go through all these different considerations, uh, you can, you know, getting to five and a half or six G's, depending on your airframe is kind of a baseline. Like it's, it's pretty, it's pretty standard to get to like, Hey, I really would like a, you know, a seven G release for this weapon. Like, Oh, that's like $50 million in 10 years. We have to go to the I wind see. tunnel. Like we have to do this. We have to do that. like, Oh my God. And you're like, do you really like, what scenarios are you going to do this? You're like, well, I just would like it. I mean, I can think of maybe one, like, you know, if, just if I'm feeling like it. So yeah, it has nothing to do with uh, an engineering limit. It's the uh, it's the way that the you know you can't pay for everything. You can't otherwise we'd we'd either run out of uh, money, run out of time, run out of resources to do it. Uh, so uh, I think the Seek Eagle. I was doing a lot of Seek Eagle stuff. Uh, not working there, but kind of working with them on some issues. And you know, the backlog they have of of stuff is is ridiculous. There's stuff that have been. There was one. Uh, configuration that we were actually uh, it's actually I think almost done with Seek Eagle now I wrote the request um, when I was a captain back in 2014 and it was 2022 and they were just starting to test it and it wasn't like a very like hard thing Uh, all we were looking for was a supersonic release envelope for uh, for uh, GB38s we were 0.9, 0.95, something like Mach Limited. And we're like, yeah. well, this is weird. Like, I can drop a, the bigger one, Supersonic, like 1.2 <laughs> Mach or something. Yeah. I can drop the 500-pound the dumb bond version at, like, Supersonic. Why can't I drop the 500-pound JDAM Supersonic? I'm like, oh, well, we have to do the – the we have to go figure that out. So they're working all that. It got stuck in paperwork for hell for a while, and then you have, you know, flight tests, money. and Anyways, it's, it's a process. It's a thing.
0: Yeah. Well, I look at it as we have – so again, most of my experience is F-16, obviously, but we have F-16s who over-G, I wouldn't say a lot, but it's, it's not uncommon, especially when people are doing like low altitude ingress to attacks to over-G. Oh yeah. So how many oh, yeah. man hours are we spending on like, oh, you over g the jet. Now maintenance has to like take the wings apart or, you know, do some inspections and, and we could, we could save all that time, but then, you know, how much, how much are we really saving money-wise? so. I get it. I mean, there's yeah, I'm convinced
1: a cost that in the, I'm convinced in the, like the F 15, there's like different levels of over G there's like level one, level two, level three. Then there's like mass items, which is like the, the, you know, the fuselage. So you will, I don't know if you have it yet. You've only flown three times. You will over G the F 15 at some point. Uh, and then yeah. the first thing you do, like you're when you do like your BFM phase, you'll probably have like your hours, uh like just to scroll through. So you'll program into your, uh, your screens, you scroll through. It's like over G you bring it up and you're like, okay, uh level one no mass items like continue uh and then you know over g is the second time or the third time like all right we're doing something wrong let's let's bring it back but yeah. you know if you have mass items or like a low i'm pretty sure level one no mass items is like the engineering buffer to go like hey be careful yeah <laughs> <laughs> but when you get to like hey it's level three on like you know several items and mass items you're like oh like that's like so probably bent the jet like you know, yeah. I've seen, I've heard of guys, a couple of like strike guys, uh, you know, doing like a, like a, um, emergency recovery to like avoid hitting the ground. And, you know, they spike like 10 a little bit over 10 G's like right out of top gun Maverick. Seriously. yeah. Uh, they bring the, and it's all like, you know, over G over G. And it's like the whole house page is just lit up with, with over G like, well, that jet's going to be down for a little bit. Now they have to pull the panels. Yeah. So.
0: Like 130% of the yeah, uh, exactly. like allotment.
1: Yeah. I want to, yeah. I want to say that's what it is. Like if it's a level one, it's like, I don't know, hundred, hundred to 110% or something like that. Level two is like 120. I don't know. It's yeah. been a while.
0: But yeah, that's, well, I've looked at that and I've, I mean, I was, I think I was talking to Bender about it. Like I'm just relegating myself to, I'm just going to have weak break turns because it's just having flown side stick that moves a quarter of an inch for literally a decade. And now they're like three, like two thirds stick uh, travel to a known stick position. I'm like, that does not make sense in my brain. Like I cannot, I don't have like this innate currently ability just to like find the same spot over and over without. Mm -hmm overshooting to an over g so i'm like six and a half g's is probably all i'm going to do in a break turn and then i'll make it up you know in the control zone but uh so yeah it's it's i mean it's cool yeah. because it's it's very different
1: the amount of time um because it's again it's the the f15c and the e are uh, cable pulley with you know hydro hydro assist with some computer augmentation bender's just just man he's just hurting trying to get back yeah. into this conversation
0: close some apps I and mean, he's iPhone,
1: stealth mode now he's f-35 <laughs> guy we just we can't see him
0: yeah there he is sorry hey, he's everybody. back this is gonna be hey, my yeah. nightmare to edit yeah <laughs> awesome
1: yeah so the uh, the the amount of time uh, and you're probably starting to see this like in a you know find just teaching someone to fly the f-15 to be to fly it good like max perform the jet within visual range is like like thousands and thousands of of hours to of studying and and just thinking through how to do this and and those skills actually all atrophy, right? We're like the the viper. No, I'm just gonna pull. Yeah, <laughs> like well. We'll just skip to the good stuff. Uh, yeah. it, I'll tell you, like the the E model is different because it has uh, it has CFTs and and pods. Um, unless we take the pods off, but uh, generally we fly with CFTs all the time, with like one one or two exceptions right now going on in the in the real world. So. When you you can't fly the E model the same as the C model, even though it's kind of based on the same flight control system, uh, but because of the way that the weight on the jet is and it's a much heavier jet, if you uh, if you pull the stick and you do the stick mechanic just right, uh, the G number it really is kind of it, it literally just flashes for like you know one twentieth of a second. It'll spike that fast and then it'll you know come right back down. So you can you can pull like a you know like an eight G brake turn is a really good in a, in a Strike Eagle, but how you get that um, with the stick position? There's a thing that's called the inertial overshoot, and so when you when you pull when you get past that three quarter position, if you pause just right and you're at the right airspeed and the right weight and you pull the stick just right, the the jet will actually uh, snap about 50 degrees a second. The nose it'll track for about one to one and a half seconds, and then it'll slow down and your and your you know, your G will bleed off. But it's uh, it's fun if you do it right because you can really whip the nose around uh one time <laughs> yeah <laughs> and it does some other weird tricks just based on the you know, the weight but uh yeah it's definitely not it's really hard to be good and it's really really hard to stay good uh, without doing it all the time and you know it's not a flying club we, we have missions to do so when people go out like we're just gonna do bfm for the next like six weeks and be awesome at it but no one cares
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs>
1: you, no one cares but you in the bar man <laughs> like that's yeah. not gonna that's not gonna win or lose the next war i'm sorry <laughs>
0: Yeah. That's, that's what I'm finding is, I mean, they even say to my face, they're like, Hey, you can't just like pull and stay awake. Now you actually have to fly the jet. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's uh, becoming apparent because it's different because if you pull and you now set too much units of AOA, like cockpit units of AOA, the jet stops doing what you want. So you're like, this is, you know, it's not like I get more infinitely, I get more to a point and then it's diminishing returns and now you're just hurting yourself. And I'm like, I'm not good at any of this so it'll take a little while
1: yeah have you gotten through the ahc where you're, you're, you're basically flying it by fuel
0: that's uh that's well because i was not effective the sortie uh, my my two sorties from now will be that one and uh okay. it's dual which i was looking forward to being solo but apparently <laughs> when you could put the jet out of control it's probably best to be dual
1: yeah but yeah yeah the aoa thing is uh it, it definitely feels different at different AOA regimes and you know, you, you, find, you start to get a feel for it. And then you realize like, oh, those are actually just crutches because it's based on my weight, airspeed and altitude. It's like, and so the faster I go, those, those rules don't apply. If I'm slower, it changes. If I'm higher, the air density is different. It doesn't matter. If I'm heavier, it changes. It doesn't matter. I'm like, oh, they're crutches we used <laughs> to teach like new guys. Uh, but when you go out, it turns out when you go fly like BFM, everyone's in the same configuration every time we do it. So that's kind of just become a rule.
0: Yeah. Well, and that's one of the things sure. the buffet that you don't really experience in the F16, uh it's it's actually been a little reassuring like a, around the final turn and you're in the light buffet and you're like, hey, son of a gun, that's you know, it's kind of just like they say the jet talks to you and it definitely does. Like it 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 advises me how bad I am at uh flying the C model. So <laughs>
1: Um, yeah, when you uh, when you get real fast in it, it'll it'll tell you that it doesn't like to go too fast. You're like, I am actually a little scared right now. Yeah. When well, they <laughs> say
0: the the eagle roar that you get just from the air like traveling over the canopy, like, that's like that. yeah, it's a thing. It gets that's loud. Intense. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, I'm nice and high and fast, but but that's you know what the F-16 doesn't get to do as well. So the uh, yeah, so you
1: get you when you do your uh, like your tactical intercepts, you're getting the you know high. High 40s, uh, like 1.2 Mach, 1.4 Mach, somewhere in that area. I've seen those guys kind of on a commit, and then you go out down to like 20,000 feet, recommit back up to 40,000 feet. And you're like, geez, it's like a flying yo-yo.
0: Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> like the stuff the Raptor does too. Like, oh uh, yeah. Bender and I were in, we we're in Red Flag, Alaska, and it was one of those like four F-16s with one Raptor in the lane, and the F-22 is, he's like same thing. He's in the 40s. He's just doing, doing work. And I watch him leave down, like just to send pure vertical down into the twenties and then pass us. And he's like, Hey, go shoot those guys. And then by the time we're turning back around, he's back in the forties, like passing us again. And I was like, this is insane. Like, I don't know how these planes do this. You know,
1: I did, a uh, I I uh, I flew, did a red air vol, uh, back when I was a weapons officer. And I, the very few times I get to fly red air as a break and it was a fight tank fight with, uh, it was a mix of uh, strike eagles and Raptors we had two squadrons kind of deployed together and I forgot what the numbers were. And it was probably like a eight V eight or some, something like that. When we had tankers and it's all right. So after the first fight we go over, I'm like, all right, everyone, I told like, it's like pinch your gas is red air. I want to take all of your extra gas. So we end up getting off the tanker, you know, at probably 25,000 feet, but 30,000 pounds of gas. Cause we have tanks. Like, all right, we're gonna be the high flash flyer, and we're gonna sit on three consecutive PK misses, and we're just gonna drive straight. (laughs) Like, okay, like, like I just I wanna see, like, let's, like, I'm DLO shaping here for for as as red one, right? So we get we get up to, uh, you know, it's a strike eagle with tanks uh, and uh, um, captive missiles, so it's it's got a lot of drag. But eventually, you know, we get up to caught 48, 49, 50,000 feet. And as soon as you like, crack the wings, you know, you lose 5,000 feet in a kind 10-mile of like <laughs> turn radius, you know. Uh, so we kind of time it so we're, like, we're facing the right way. It's, like, fight's on. We're at 50,000 feet, uh, right at the, you know, quote, operating limit um, in that in that configuration. And, we're, you know, PK miss, like, PK miss, PK miss. And we see, again, we can't, as soon as we crack the wings, we're gonna fall out of the sky, so we're just gonna go straight. And we see the this raptor, like oh tally like we can't can't really turn right now and this raptor he's probably like 10,000 feet below us and he just does this like vertical stern conversion
0: on us without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running everything would suddenly stop hospitals factories schools and power plants they all depend on you no matter the weather emergency or time of day you're the ones who get it done at granger we're here for you
1: Kills strike eagle bullseye it's like pk miss like gun kill like track like <laughs> all right we're dead <laughs> and so we go to turn and it's like hey we're we're falling off left that's kind of our calm as <laughs> we crack the wings left and start falling out of the sky and he just like plugs it in the blower and just goes just zips away I'm like dude that was that was amazing and yeah. that guy could easily and know, you guys probably seen this those they can get way above fifty thousand 000 feet. Uh, Oh, they, well I was they gonna have they have the were... aerodynamics and the power to do it yeah
0: I was gonna ask if he was converting from high to low when you were at fifty thousand feet.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, even if it was, I wouldn't tell you that because that's yeah. outside of their their TO. But yeah, uh, that's true. Yes. I do uh, know that uh I, I do know of a story of a of a a real world mission that had some dip clearance issues and uh the uh the, the the squadron weapons officer was the guy leading it and he's like, Well I'm just gonna take off and go in the, the class A airspace. I'm like, huh? So he takes off and goes completely vertical up to the, above 50,000 feet out of the country's like jurisdiction airspace and then just leaves. Hey. Like he's within like the aerodrome, like airspace confines and just goes vertical up to 50,000 feet. Like that's crazy. Ah, well, that's, that's a technique. Like that <laughs> is a technique. <laughs> he got in big trouble when he got back, but I was like, well, you know, made a call.
0: Yeah. I mean, hey, sometimes you got to do what you got to do. So yeah. the, uh, one thing that we we kind of talked about in text offline uh, was, so we talked to Vermeer, which is Brian Stream from Vermeer, where they're doing like the swarm and all that, and either we talked about it or you sent me an article, pretty much, or you were posted about it maybe uh, about the the how complex swarm really is, like a true AI swarm is. So can you kind of explain like exactly when someone says swarm what they're trying to say and then and then why it's such a big ask
1: yeah so i think I, I, yeah I, I know what you're talking about now it was a mob versus swarm I go, that's not a swarm yeah. It's a mob yeah <laughs> <laughs> those, those those words mean things uh, I, it's kind of like and i can't remember the math but when you have the number of uh points in a system um it's scales like logarithmics or exponentially, whatever word you want to use. So if you have, uh, if you have two points, so you have like, say a flight leader, and a wingman, there's only one interaction, right? And now if I have, if I have three and I forget how the math works, the point is when you get to like 10 things, there's like 50 interactions and the more that you go up, it, it becomes this like hundreds and hundreds of interactions. And the, and the point is like it's kind of like back to the mission commander discussion we had you know being a two-ship flight lead and a four-ship flight lead it's not like it's twice as hard right it's 10 times as hard yeah (laughs) it's the same thing the amount of variables and considerations to 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 manage something with some kind of uh you know coherence and effectiveness and um there's a reason why we kind of settled on as like four ships we don't we don't really have like we don't go out there and fight as six ships because gee that is orders of magnitude even more complex like hey we can just delegate this stuff down into these sub packages um turns out we figured this out you know a hundred years ago in aviation (laughs) i hate about four jets is good (laughs) more than that it starts to get really really complicated uh logistically and tactically uh so yeah so that's that's what it's about it's when you look at like these drone light shows and things like that they're not they're not collaborating or coordinating with each other they're being controlled and directed individually in mass by a single like point so there that'd be that'd be like what if you had like a you know like a 30 v 50 dca and none of the people that were flying on blue side could actually make decisions and the AWACS was directing all 30 airplanes and everything where to go and what to do and how to do it uh, that's kind of like what most of this stuff is if you put a lot of quadcopters in the same piece of sky, like they're probably not even controlled by the same person. And so that's, we get, that's actually a mob, right? <laughs> and that was kind of my point. Like if you're looking at something that's actually network collaborative autonomy, NCA, that is where you get to like wicked, wicked complexity. And i tell you that there's, you know, it's a, it's a niche and we're getting better at it, but there's probably like, you know, the amount of people in like the U S defense industrial base that, that have the expertise and the, and the know-how and the knowledge to do that. Um, there's not many, uh, and I'm not talking companies, not people, just people like the universities, the the whole academic system to build the people who, who can even understand and how to do this. And then you have to, you know, mature them and experience them into that market. Uh, I was talking with someone the other day about, um, some form of this, uh, with autonomy. I was like, you realize like, how many fighter pilots there are in the air force there is less than that many people in the entire united states who know how to do any of this and that's not the good ones that's just total yeah and you got like you know you you want the the joke is like you want to hire the guy um who's you know designing you know what the shape and the color of your facebook app button should be or do you want to hire the guy that's like Better than the guy that Tesla hired to build their like auto driving algorithm. Like, which one do you want to work for? Yeah. Well,
0: you know, and it turns you, out that's not cheap. Yeah. And how do you hire those people? Because that's the tough part. Like, as a DoD organization, how are you able to pay in a manner that's competitive with Tesla or SpaceX or you know? Because those are some pretty cool problem sets. You know, like the military is cool yeah. problem sets, but I mean. Those, those patriotism be- only
1: goes so far, right? Yeah. <laughs> These are all conversations that are, that are involved with, with, uh, with the air force right now. And, you know, we, we hire, we go out and recruit, uh, top talent and we, uh, compensate top talent so they can produce top tier stuff, right. For the warfighter. But at the end of the day, the government has to buy it. Right. And so <laughs> when you look at the government acquisitions systems and how they, 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 buy things they're not buying based on quality or value debate. They're, they're, they're basing it off of cost and they go, well, like we're, there's a, there's a have it's happening more and more. I would say every new defense company that's uh, kind of advanced technology uh, is kind of fighting this right now, which is, you know, it's, we are hiring some of the best people in the world to do this because it literally does not exist. And we're, and we're doing it and you go, great. Well, how much does it cost? Like, well, like, well, let's look at your labor rates and then, and then oh, your labor rates are too high. We're, we're not going to pay for that. Like, well, so let me get this straight. So what if like, let's hypothetically a company found a way to solve world hunger, the government, and this is what's wrong with the government acquisitions process. They would go, okay, well, instead of going like, well, how many people die every day? You know, say it's 2 million people die every day and we can get this in the field in a month. And then from then on, we're like we'll save hundreds of millions of lives. They don't. They they go well. How long did it take you to make it? How much money did you put into it? And as they start like, let's do the cost analysis to figure out. Not it's like, dude, I solved world hunger, and you're talking about like, how did I manage my time and engineering headcount to get to the solution, not the value of the solution itself. So there's a there's a massive cultural disconnect between I would call it your defense 2.0 um, companies and their business models. And the way that government traditionally buys stuff. And so that's why you see like the primes, you know, they live off of cost plus contracts, which is whatever. So all the risk is on the government. There's no risk on the companies. And so what you see is you see a lot of program bloat, whether it's like headcounts so time resources. Um, So you'll see you know this program it was supposed to take you know 5 years and this much money and it took you know 8 years and 50% more money well it took more money cuz they probably hired more people and so again their their costs are going up and they just charge the government and that cost plus that plus is a usually it's a fixed profit margin so say it's like 12%. So if they cost and, and they do all the costing analysis and they go we hired 10 more people we can we will add this to our costs and guess what you know the bigger cost you know the percent's the same, but the cost is bigger. Then you get more money, right? So they're incentivized to have a larger headcount and not really be efficient and deliver stuff. Uh, there's there's a, a program. I have a friend of mine in another company. There's a program he's uh, working on, and their their technology is ahead of what the Air Force had budgeted for, and they're actually getting in trouble from the program manager because they're ahead of their milestones and they're saving the government money, and the program manager is getting in trouble because like, well, well, my metrics of how I am graded as a program manager is managing this program. And to me, and to that, it means I am on a burn rate for the money. I'm obligated and I'm hitting the milestones at the time that I predicted they would be like, wait, so we're actually overperforming. And it's a bad thing. Like, yes, like, no, 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 (laughs) that like, they, they just, there's hundreds of these stories going on every day. Uh, it's just a, a cultural problem. Uh, but yeah, so that's uh, that's one of the things. And if you build a company off of a cost plus contract, uh, like like Lockheed Martin's the biggest uh, defense company in the world, I want to say right now they have one hundred and thirty thousand employees. Like if they if they didn't live off of cost plus contracts, there's no way they would have one hundred and thirty thousand employees, right? Yeah, because they can afford to grow that headcount because they can just pass that back with a cost plus contract. If you take now, it takes like Boeing right now. Um, they are a company, all the primes, they're built off of a cost plus model. So they have a large headcount. Uh, they went and bid a fixed price contract, which is like, you know, when you go to the store and you buy an iPhone, you don't buy the iPhone based on how much money it costs Apple to build it. And then, you know, add 12% or whatever it is. You go, this is the price. If if you go, yeah, that's a good price based on what, you know, the value that I'm going to get out of buying my iPhone, I'll buy the iPhone. So Boeing's uh, switched that for a lot of their defense programs to try to um, gain market share by incurring risk from the government. So in a, in a fixed price contract, the, the contractor has all the risk. If it goes over that price, like that doesn't matter. The government's not paying for it. They're only paying what they said they're going to pay. That's the point of a fixed price. So you're uh nq25 uh the new air force one which is a vc uh 25 i believe the uh I'm blanking right now there's like four programs that boeing had uh, air air like aircraft programs that boeing had big uh, fixed price contracts on to win and they've lost billions of dollars and i think i think uh was it last week or week before in the merge i, I broke it down it was like that's they're losing is like one million dollars an hour for like you know 90 days straight 24 hours a day a million dollars an hour that's their burn rate right now on these like four aircraft programs because they bid they're a cost plus company model bidding on a fixed price to try to win some market share and uh it's it's kind of tanking their uh, their stock right now
0: when well, and, and it makes sense like there's there's no reason for companies who have that moat and that ability to maintain their market share, why would they do that? Like, why would they take that extra risk when the cost plus model already exists? And they're one of the biggest names in the space, you know, like, how do we get away with, like, from that?
1: Yeah. So what you'll see is a lot of the new companies, um, I would say, I can't think of one off the top of my head, uh, like a, a new like a company, a defense company that's been started in the last five years, 10 years, call it that does cost plus. Like they have everyone has sworn off cost plus, uh, contracts, uh, for a startup. It makes no sense because you're limiting your, your revenue, right? You're like, you're trying to deliver value, gain market share. Uh, if you're a blue chip company like Lockheed Martin, like, yeah, you can afford to, to just go, yeah, cost plus we'll just, you know, keep the lights on. It's a, it's a, you know, like an S and P 500 stock probably. So it's got, it's got it stable. It's not a growth stock. So there's, there are different company phases of a company and I think those those models work for different phases of that, so if you want new people in the market, you have to have the business models that uh, align with the newer companies that are coming into the market it's the same way it's not just defense it's every it's just economics right <laughs> so like when you get into you know you can talk about the consolidation of defense and all that and uh, you know you know how you know if you, you you like to talk about innovation and just like the different stages of a company or an organization as they grow how they innovate actually changes and it's pretty fascinating. So we like to think of like, um, you know, a lot of, uh, like garage lab kind of innovation stuff, uh, whether it's like the two pizza rule from like, you know, Jeff Bezos, um, and there's a few other models at the end of the day, there's a point where, where a company switches and the way that they innovate is they don't actually do the work. They, they innovate through acquisitions. Yeah. So like apple is a great example like we, we think of them as like you know bleeding edge tech and just delivering just amazing like products the the reality is almost everything that they've done is through buying other companies that had that tech and they just integrated it
0: yeah like so, Beats.
1: so apple apple in their history has acquired more companies than lockheed martin in their entire history that's wow so it like uh, i did the math like they're up to about 80 so apple has bought 80 companies, they average, uh, a, they buy a few years. Some of them are big, some are small. And then, uh, in the peak, they were probably averaging, like they were buying one company a month back in like 2019, 2020. And, and if you look at their acquisitions, you can go back and look at what they bought and the, in the timelines and you can go, oh yeah. Like they were thinking about changing this, getting into ads and, and locking out Facebook. They were thinking about this eight years ago. Like, look at the companies they are buying, they're buying ad companies. Like, ah, oh, I know why they're buying ad companies now. <laughs>
0: Yeah. See, and I mean, good on them. Cause like you said, like they can't, they can't stay that young, innovative, like startup forever. So they get that acquisitions and then someday they just become a big bloated bureaucracy of a, of a company, I guess. Not, I say that, but not in a bad way, but just at some point you're a massive company. So you, you kind of aren't as nimble as you used to be when you were, like you said, the two pizza rule, you know?
1: Yeah. Everyone loves the underdog. Uh, it turns out if the the underdog has catastrophic success. Eventually he's going to be the villain. Yeah. That's just, that's just uh, how, how, uh, how we think about uh, companies in life, I guess. If you're too successful, it's bad. If you're the, uh, you know, everyone loves the underdog. I'm always rooting for Rocky.
0: Yeah. Well, we grew up that way. You know, that was, that was our uh, experience when we were a kid, you know, Rocky or blood sport, you know, like, Oh, how is Jean-Claude Van Damme going to do this? But did you just,
1: you just threw out a Jean-Claude Van Damme reference. Right? Yeah.
0: Oh yeah. They, I, <laughs> <laughs> to my to my mom's yeah to my uh, mom's chagrin she uh, that's what I grew up on you know it was like Terminator Commando like all that kind of stuff um, yeah see. the yeah the um, so how do – because okay this is my perspective and it could be completely wrong so back in the day my understanding is that the government like trying to go to the moon was the leading edge like the most cutting edge place to be if you're trying to solve problems and then technology was like downstream from what the government and like NASA was trying to achieve. But nowadays it's almost like the government can't keep up with what public companies and all these companies out there can produce. So why did that change? And maybe- uh,
1: well, yeah, I'd say a few things. So if you go back to world war two, there's a really good, there's a couple of good books about it. But if you look at this, there's a book called, uh, the secret history of Silicon Valley, and it goes back to like, where, how did Silicon Valley actually have all of this, like these tech companies, like where do they actually all come from? And if you go from like down to like, um, down South, uh, an actual Silicon Valley up to like, you know, the Bay area in San Francisco back in, uh, world war II, like all of the government, like technology that we use to like fight world war II was built there. Those were all defense companies. So Silicon Valley was like built on the back of national security. And what had happened uh, over time, uh, there was a there was a switch uh, in the Cold War. And I can't remember exactly when, but the the model kind of changed, where the government started instituting processes that were um, they basically adopted it from Ford Motor Company, if you believe it or not. Um, so uh, Robert McNamara. Uh, took over uh, in the Pentagon as the secretary of defense. And he brought with him a bunch of the executives from Ford and they tried to implement a bunch of uh, business models and of, you know, how do we have predictable planning and and how do I get to the nth degree of metrics and, and all of these processes to drive stability. Uh, And, and so that's what you did. So you're trading speed for stability and predictability. And so that's what happened. And so all of the the things that came out of that, no kidding is like what, how everything that we have today was built. Then the, uh, the PBBE and the, like the fiscal years and how that actually works. Like all that was in that, in the 1960s timeframe and that is, and what happened was it's still from the 1960s and the world has changed. And so I'd say probably in the, in the really probably the late nineties, the where you would find breakthroughs started to change. Uh, there was a few reasons why, and so I'd say in the '80s you have government-funded research and you would, you know, bleeding-edge stuff. You know, DARPA's, you know, built the internet, all that kind of stuff. And now, you know, 20 years later, when you look at like where the money is and the rise of even venture capital, uh, they're making bets and tech companies. You'll see just the amount of money where it is. It's it's not even close. I want to say it's like 10 to one. It's probably like 30 to one uh, dollars. So for every dollar that the the government invests in like you know, S&T or R and D to like technology development, it's thirty times more money in the commercial sector doing that. And so they're able to they don't have, you know, the the federal acquisitions regulations. They don't have colors of money in fiscal years. They don't have continuing resolutions. They don't have yeah. congressional oversight. Right? It's it's a it's a free market economy in that in that regard. So you can move as as, as at the speed of business. It turns out the speed of business is the speed of, of you know life, the real world where the speed of government is something completely different. And the longer that disconnect remains, I think everyone probably in the past five years, everyone's like, oh, we have a problem. Like the industry is like running circles around what the government is able to do just because of our processes. Even if we could buy, and then we get to the things back to earlier, you know, say we say a company like, you know, we built something, you know, this exquisite technology, the government wants to buy it. Well, now the latest thing is the government wants to own, you know, um, they want to own the architecture. They want to own the tech stack. Like, okay, well, who's going to maintain it? Because like the, the guy, the guys who built it, uh, they're not Uh, (laughs) GS-15s. I don't know how to tell you this, but I don't think you're going to be able to do this. So uh, when you look at uh, um, government reference architectures, um, open systems architectures and things like that, that you can speed a lot. But at the end of the day, like when you field something, someone has to you know maintain and sustain it. And, uh, th- there's a conversation to be had of who has the expertise to do that. And if it's going to be the government just contracting back to the people who know what they're doing to do it, uh, then you're like, well, what's the whole point of having this, uh, this reference? Like, who cares what the reference is? You did, you're not doing anything with it. Uh, it's, it's, you might as well just keep the open standard and then change what's running on the open standard instead of wanting your own, you know, operating system, that's government, the government owns it. So it's an interesting conversation right now with, um, you know, <laughs> my, I was joking with someone the other day um, during an engagement. I was like, you, if you could tell me one, for one, one example of a government run software program, that is like a catastrophic success. I will show you 100 that are catastrophic failures. Yeah. Uh, I just got two words for you, pecs and jumps. Like, all right, (laughs) like like, if we can't even figure out how to schedule, uh, do squadron scheduling and, you know, do mission planning. Like those are two basic stuff that everyone touches every day. And somehow we, you know, we're, God, I don't know, 15 years into trying to fix it and we keep just making it worse. So
0: (laughs) when I think one of the frustrating things is they, at least in scheduling the, the DOD seems more interested in finding a solution. And there's a lot of companies working in that space, but they seem so uninterested in changing mission planning, you know, to something that like uh, represents some new technology. I mean, you go to a red flag and who else around the world would say you're going to put 70 aircraft in the same airspace and they're all worth multiple millions of dollars at least. And you're going to plan all this, the deconfliction, the timing, the everything on a literal whiteboard and transfer that to an Excel document that may or may not have macros in it, you know, or like, uh, formulas, but that's it. Like that is the extent of our mission plan. That has
1: not changed in 30 years. <laughs> yeah. We and, fought desert storm on that same whiteboard and the, probably that same Excel you know, document.
0: And that's the frustrating thing where it, it's good that in some areas they they are very interested in finding solutions maybe it's just such a niche solution that they're like eh, this is very operator centric that it's not that noticeable to anybody who doesn't mission plan and, and especially on a large scale
1: Yeah it's it's frustrating i think the again you go back to like well what's the impact it's ah, only you know there's only you know how many PEC systems are there in use? I don't know. I'm making it up, maybe there's a hundred, right? right? Like, oh well, the business case just isn't there for us to like, you know, build something. Like, well, yeah, it is. You see all the people that you're pissing off every day. Like, they're all gonna leave. That's your problem. You have a retention problem because their quality of life sucks because you're giving them like tech from the 1990s and you're asking them to go do miracles with it. Like, how about you start with like the low hanging fruit and fix some of these pain points? And when you say you're gonna fix something. I don't know how about you follow through and do it like show me show me your report card like here are (laughs) all the things that you've promised over the past 10 years that you're going to fix none of them have been fixed or hey this did we fix this we failed here like great like that would be nice to know but lots of lots of broken promises uh you know that trail of tears to the the exit door is uh yeah it's a thing
0: it's frustrating because it's all everything's downstream from the schedule It's the schedules schedulers life is terrible. The ADO, his life is terrible because he has to, you know, buy the schedule and then sell the schedule to the DO. So all of their lives are suboptimal. And then a bad schedule affects the entire squadron. And so you're like, everybody is part like feels the pain of the schedule. Uh, if only we could, we could solve that, which we've obviously, we've talked with Ops lab in the past and we actually just talked with duality, uh, the other day. So that'll, that'll be coming out in a couple weeks, but yeah, it's, there's companies out there that are trying to solve it, but that's the question is like, how does it, how does it replace hex? You know, like that's a going from a, Hey, this super two made good. And it's a MVP that works to, PEX is gone. This took its place. Like that's, that is quite a bit different. Yeah. I'd say the PEX,
1: the more you learn about PEX, you go, Oh, this is way more complicated of a problem. So the side of PEX that, you know, as a, as an operator fighter pilot deals with is like 10%. Like yeah. they, there's a maintenance side of PEX. They use, there's a whole other like, galaxy of stuff that they use PEX for over there. So there, there has to be some kind of continuity until they, you know, replace PEX entirely. but, yeah, you could do your, your schedule. There's, there's a whole bunch of things to do. Like, you know, the air force, we, you know, by the, by Friday morning in a normal fighter squadron, unless things have changed by Friday morning, you have like your, everyone kind of sits in the scheduling and, and like kind of slaps the table and go, they've spent probably an hour, hour and a half moving the, the final touches to make the perfect schedule for the next Monday through Friday, like fly week. And then no kidding. But by the time that, the end of day that Friday that they just like blessed the schedule, something's already changed. Yeah. So I used to keep track of like how many things would change throughout the week. Uh, I w- I'm a, I'm a two time recovering scheduler. So, uh, <laughs> so I did it a few different assignments. So I, I appreciate it. And it was like, I used to put a dot and I remember like, I didn't tell anyone I was doing it for just my own experiment. And, uh, the end of the week, you know, you don't clean the board from like, you know, this week, next week, it's your building. You're like, what? where are all these dots? And I was like, the do was asking. I'm like, Oh, you mean on that on Friday? Like, Hey, it's Friday. Like there's a dot next to every single puck on the board. They're like, yeah, why is that? I'm like, that means that I have literally moved every single, that is not the schedule you approved. Like I moved every single puck because of that, that cascading effects of like one thing leads to another. And you know, if this happens, I like the Navy, the Navy technique, which is, you know, day plus one plus two. And so you have your availability and you just go, am I flying like a.m. go or p.m. go and if I'm a.m. go like keep me in the a.m. go and if I'm not available like you know Tuesday don't schedule me uh, I have an office day and then they go all right and then you just figure out like hey we're on the schedule great what do you want to <laughs> do and it's it's you know plan early plan often but for the air force so these people are like oh I'm, I'm definitely I have this ride in five days let me go start studying and prepping or well, the navy's like what am I doing tomorrow like oh okay
0: yeah which <laughs> so, <laughs> again like all it is is like Broken, broken dreams on the the week out. You oh know? Yeah. Like, yeah, like me, like I. Yeah. Oh, go ahead.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say you show. me It's like the perfect sortie. Like, show me a fighter pilot who's ever flown a perfect sortie, and I'll show you a schedule that's out, that's been executed as planned, right?
0: <laughs> yeah. What? Well, and that's the problem. Like, you build a schedule that assumes that you're going to have success on a day prior. There's not going to be weather problem. But if you, if only you could build a schedule that wasn't like, didn't explode because of, you know, the Friday fallout that rolls into Monday, which rolls into Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Like, I don't think there is a way to build a schedule with upgrades and all those things without that, like, that the, next, the following days rely on the days prior. But maybe if there's a computer that just does the reroll, at least it saves humans from trying to do it. And then, you know, stepping on someone's office day because they were like, oh, shoot, I forgot about that. Like, I mean, it's... I can only imagine. Yeah, you should be able to put in
1: your. It's kind of like the puck board, which for like the tanker planning, you should be able to just hear my inputs, uh, hear my priorities, and you go compute, and it basically gives you here's your suggested schedule, and you go, I don't like that. Compute again, compute again. Like, okay, this is pretty close. I just move one or two things around, and I I just skip to the good stuff, right? Like the 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 value of a scheduler is like that last ten percent. mm hmm like that's where you really want the the hands on the pucks making those decisions because you have the context. But like the first ninety percent of it is like that is not hard work. That is just tedious waste yeah. of time.
0: Well, and I think that's that's a nice thing because a lot of these automated schedulers will do exactly that. I like that formation. Leave it as is and you lock it. All right, you know the uh, I always forget the the name where you're you're doing all the weapon with all like the thousand bombs or whatever. The, it's not roulette. It's, uh, the, it's like a gambling something where the, uh,
1: Uh, like like a Monte Carlo, Monte Carlo, uh, exactly. Yeah. The Monte
0: Carlo where you're just like, all right, send it, figure out the best solution and and we'll go from there kind of thing. And so, yeah, I mean, people are out there, they're trying to solve it. So that's good. Uh,
1: I learned recently, uh, and I've already forgotten. So I'm going to screw this up. Uh, I should probably Google this, uh, as we're talking here, I actually learned like, so m- what Monte Carlo actually is like, like everyone's like, Oh, it's a Monte Carlo, uh, so run, run the simulation. Uh, all it means is that it's a time, it's a time limited, like permutations that it's running. Mm-hmm. And at the end of it, it goes, this is what, this is what I got based on the time. There's, there's another kind of, uh, of, uh, permutation, um, predictor where it's not time based it's like solutions based and and that one's called like you know Las Vegas or something it's got some other like <laughs> geographic like, of course like who comes up with these names yeah yeah
0: but i like that one I, more i
1: cannot remember, I, I it's definitely i want to say i don't know the name of it but it's definitely a geographic location i was like that's funny whoever came up with these names like you know 30 40 years ago I'm like that's funny yeah
0: but i like that more cuz now it's not hey my solution is based off my time constraint it's based off of my scheduling or availability or whatever it is, but at least that's a better constraint than hey, you gave me six seconds. You know? And it's like, well that's not helpful. So yeah. The uh well what what are some of the things? Obviously you've got your hands in a lot of stuff in the innovation space. What's something cool that you've kind of seen recently before we uh before we get out of here?
1: Hmm. Oh. Uh, I don't know. Let's see. That's a lot of cool stuff going on. Nothing really jumps out at me because there's like, there's literally, I don't know, I, I probably see 500 things a week when I'm building the newsletter. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I actually, I'm running an experiment right now. I realized like, I can't put everything in the newsletter and I was making, I was spending a lot of time just making choices of where that cut line's supposed to be. Cause I just, I can only have so much space in the newsletter and mm-hmm. it's just going to get, you know, overwhelming. And I, it comes out every Sunday morning. So I I was like, well, I have all this good stuff and I just haven't been able to use it because it's just below the cut line. And I'm like, so I've been spent a lot of time doing that. So finally, I was like, what if I just took the stuff below the cut line and then just released it separately? So I I, I created kind of a, I'm running an experiment on LinkedIn because LinkedIn has a built-in newsletter function where on Tuesday mornings, I'm putting all of the saved rounds that I couldn't put in the newsletter. I'm putting all the saved rounds you saw on Sunday. And then I have like below the cut line and like here are all the other ones. And so I think, this last Tuesday, I probably had like, I don't know, maybe 10 or 12, 10, maybe 15 saved rounds. And I had like 30 or 40 things. I just could not fit. Like there's a lot of stuff going on in the defense tech space right now. So it's, uh, instead of, you know, singling out one, I would say, uh, sign up for the newsletter. I'd really appreciate it. It's a lot of work. Uh, however much work you think it is, it's probably, it, you're underestimating. It's a lot of my time, but I, uh, it's a labor of love. I appreciate it. And, uh, I really enjoy the the notes and the feedback that I get. So uh, I'm going to keep, keep doing it. Sometimes, uh, you know, I, I love doing it some days and some days I'm like, man, I just got to get this thing done. Cause there's yeah. a lot of people <laughs> counting on me and, and I don't want to let them all down. So,
0: well, yeah, I appreciate it because, uh, cause I having kind of an understanding of the space space and stuff. And then obviously you have a very good understanding of it. It, it is super useful information and it's stuff that reading it, you're like, Hey, that, that could move the needle or this is why the needle's not moving. Or, you know, we talking about a couple months back, you had, I think it was a couple months now, the Valley of Death stuff. And, and there's just so much information that it's because you produce it every week. It's very topical. Uh, so I've been, you know, I, I followed the, the merge on Instagram and LinkedIn, obviously. And so seeing some of the Instagram pictures and, and articles and stories you put up, it's, it's cool. So I highly recommend uh themerge.co is that it, right? For the website? Yep. Yeah.
1: Yep, www.themerge.co.
0: Perfect. So we'll, uh, everybody go check that out. I'll throw it in the, uh, show notes as we did last time. And, uh, I highly recommend it cause I read it every uh, Sunday and then I, I follow all the stuff on LinkedIn, but, uh, Paco, we'll have to do this again. Thanks for coming out here and, uh, and chatting and then sorry, everybody, but Bender, he fell off a while ago and we just let him go. We didn't even slow down the recording. Uh,
1: Standard F 35 guy doesn't make the push. I tell you.
0: Yeah. <laughs> You'd think timing would be easy in that thing. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs>